יוד זין תשרי. חול המועד סוכות תף שין פי אלף. Coming to you live from the offices of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Welcome, one and all. Welcome, welcome to this week's special Cholomoed Sukkot edition of The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following JMDA, which uh, translates usually to 
9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time. And around the world, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time we're on. So note it. We have a special show today in honor of Cholam Ed Sukkot. You, me, all of us are living during a historic era of Tahalich HaGeulah. Let's say the slow but steady unfolding of the redemption of the Jewish people. If you just look, there are many, many miracles that we've experienced, even in our lifetime, those who weren't around in 48, let's say. We still experience miracles in 67, we experience miracles in 73, and we experience miracles every day if you take a look at the wide-angle view of the state of Israel and its standing amongst the nations of the world. And of the many unique phenomenon of these times of the Talich Gula are the seemingly endless, endless archaeological discoveries that date back as far, so far, as far as the times of the Nevi'im, the Milachim, the Sifrei HaNevi'im in Tanakh, that period of time, Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, David, we've, we found the name of Achav listed and other personalities from that period of time in the Bible. The relics that we find help us understand our history, our roots as a Jewish people, ancient artifacts and structures that are the best witnesses that Am Yisrael has been connected to Eretz Yisrael for thousands of years. As Yehuda Rubin Zichronoli Vrachau would say, when you touch that stone, know that your DNA touched the same stone thousands of years ago. We have bulas, those little signet rings, with Hebrew writing, with names of scribes from the times of the kings of Judea, names that appear in Tanakh as the name of the scribe. Gemar Yaro ben Shafan, he's a scribe, it says in the Tanakh. We have a signet ring in which he used to imprint his name on the wax seal of the document. Ancient Hebrew scrolls, just think of the Dead Sea Scrolls, what a discovery, all made during these, gen- these two generations. Ancient mikvaot, which are found all over Yerushalayim, were found on Masada, ancient synagogues, mosaics with Hebrew writing, and so much more we find all the time, constantly. They keep coming out of the ground as if a hand comes out of the ground and the witness says, Hi, we were here before, look. So, today on Cholom Sukkot, I share with you the story of two such discoveries that connect Israel of around the year zero, plus minus 100 years. That's like 2,000 years ago. To our Sukkot rituals and symbols, and we get a better understanding of them, and we get a better understanding of us. We'll do a quick musical break, and then we'll go back to the year 66, 1954 years ago. Here's David Daor and Tomer Hadadi with B'Tzet Yisrael Mitzrayim from the Hallel liturgy that we sing every day of Sukkot. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. 
David Daor and Tomer Hadadi, B'Tzet Yisrael Mimitzrayim. We're going to focus on a period of three and a half years, known as the Bar Kochva Revolt. But, wait, before we talk about that, with your permission, <laughs> I will lay out, in very general terms, the historic context of this period of time that we're going to talk about of the Bar Kokhba revolt, just that we should have an, an understanding of where Bar Kokhba fits into the timeline of Jewish history, like was uh, <laughs> so does the Bar Kokhba revolt, uh, uh, is it part of the of the Hashmonaim and the Hanukkah story, is, is it a different revolt, is it something else you know, what, what is it part of? So we're going to open parentheses and then we'll close parentheses when we're finished with the history part but it's cool. It's cool. You should stay tuned. Imagine, imagine that we are in the year 66, 1954 years ago, almost, almost 2,000 years ago. The second Bet HaMikdash is still standing, but not for long. A few decades ago, there was an independent Jewish state led by the Hashmonaim, the famous ones from Hanukkah, and they lasted their independent state. It lasted for about 80 years, or so it seems. But that state of Israel, it's, it wasn't called the state of Israel. I'm just saying that to give you an idea of today, but it was the state of Judea. At this point in the year 66, it's gone. It is finished. There's no more independent Jewish state. It was captured by the armies of the world's superpower, the Roman Empire. Imagine, we lost the state of Israel. It was captured by our enemies. Wow, when I put that into current perspective, that's like, oh my God. What a, what a horrible thing that must have been for the people of the time. Now, the Jews still live in Eretz Israel and in Yerushalayim, but they're no longer a sovereign. They're no longer an independent people. They're under the thumb of a hostile Roman rule. The Bet HaMikdash continues to function, but it is carefully controlled by the Roman authorities. Life for the Jews in Judea is, let's just say, not fun. And sadly, there is no unity amongst the Jewish people. There's no agreed-upon leadership. They're fractured. They've splintered into dozens of sects fighting with each other. Whatever we think of our times, of a state of Israel that has divisions, infighting, it's nothing compared to the end of the Bait Shani times that we're talking about, the years around the year 66. To a Jew in Judea, life was totally chaotic. Now, understand that each one of these sects were schlepping, were trying to get people to go in different directions. And among these sects were many groups of Kanaim, irresponsible extremists 
who called for the Jews to revolt against Rome, they couldn't stand the fact that we lost our independence, that the state of Israel, slash Judea, was taken over by the Romans, was conquered by the Romans, and they, in their zealous mishagas, thought, eh, we can revolt against the world's great superpower. The leaders of these fanatic extremists believed that God will send the military leader and God will fight on their side. And so it doesn't matter that they're going up against the world's superpower. They have the bigger superpower. Hashem Elokei Yisrael, he's our superpower. So here we are in the year 66. The Jews are in dire straits, suffering under the control of Rome. The extremists now manage to in fact start a revolt against the Roman rule. This is known to historians as the Great Revolt, Hamered Hagadol. We should note, as a side note, a parenthesis in a parenthesis, that Chazal, who were alive at that time, were very much against the revolt, realizing that it will bring us nowhere except to defeat and ruin. Well, Surprisingly, this merit, this revolt, lasts for a tumultuous eight years until the year 74. But along the way, during the eight years of revolt, the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed. The Sanhedrin loses its power. Over one million Jews are murdered by the Romans. And those who live are mostly sold into slavery and the Jewish commonwealth is no more. As another parenthesis in the parenthesis in the parenthesis, it will take almost 2,000 years for the Jews to establish again a sovereign, independent Jewish state in the land of Israel. It'll happen in 1948. We'll take another quick musical break, and then we'll continue this story. We made our way through till the year 74, but now we're going to jump ahead. 58 years to the year 132. My name is Mayor Weingart and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Karniel Dad with a cover of Rav Shloyma's Simcha La'artzecha.
Kerniel Dodd's cover of Rub Shlomer Kalbach's Simchale Artsecha. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Now imagine that we are in the year 132, a little less than 2,000 years ago. It's 1900 and something. But it's only 58 years since the first revolt, which resulted in the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. It's only 58 years since that happened. What happened during that period of 58 years? Since the Churbanabite, well, the Romans got really, really bad with the Jews. If it was bad before, now it was horrific. The Jews were banished from Yerushalayim. The Romans banned Brit Milah, circumcision. They put up a temple in honor of their god, Jupiter, where on the site of the Bet HaMikdash, in your face. Not before they totally plowed over Har Habayit, which in those days was a symbolic way of saying, this is over and done with. Don't even think, don't even think about coming back here. And yet we're pretty much of a Amkshayar if we don't give up so quickly. So in the year 132, a charismatic leader arises amongst the Jews who manages to inspire the people and yes, some of the G'daylim as well, to revolt against the Romans yet again. Who was this charismatic leader? His name was Shimon Bar Kosifa. We know him as Bar Kochva. So convinced, so convinced were some in Bar Kochva's heavenly appointment and support from above that the great Rabbi Akiva himself signed on backing the Bar Kosifa revolt and claiming Bar Kosifa Bar Kochva as the Mashiach. Rabbi Akiva changes his name from Bar Kosifa to Bar Kochva, referring to the Pasuk in Bamidbar, Darach Kochav Miyakov, a shooting star will come out from Yaakov. So that's the way he saw Bar Kochva, as this shooting star that's coming out to bring Geula. Even though there was some major initial success, which obviously fueled those who were for him, the revolt lasted only three and a half years and ends with the horrific massacre of the Jews by the Romans at Betar. Close parentheses. Remember now that the Jewish people, the land of Israel, is under the control of the Roman Empire, which is the superpower of the time, and therefore also dictates a lot of the cultural norms of the time. For example, in America, America is the superpower of the times, and so there are golden arches in China and in Russia, and people know what that means. That's universal. In the times of the Romans, the palm branch, what is actually a lulav, was a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of victory throughout the Roman world. Wikipedia tells us that the palm became so closely associated with victory in ancient Roman culture that the Latin word palma, palm, could be used for victory as a metonym. And it was a sign of any kind of victory. A lawyer who won his case in the forum would decorate his front door with palm leaves. We're going to open uh, parentheses again. This helps us understand the Medrash in Vayikra Rabbah. 
Medrash is talking about period of uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. And is talking about the Pasuk that says that, the teaching that says that on Sukkot we bring a korban of Simcha and a korban of Chagiga and Medrash says, why do we need both? Amar Rav Avin, Mashal Lishnaim Shnechnesu Etzel Dayan Velet Anan Yadin Mahu Notzeach. Ravin said there is a relevant mashal, a parable, about two people who have a dispute. They went into the judge, where each one lays out his claim, and the judge rules in favor of one of the parties. Now we see them exit the court. We don't know who won. How can we tell? Ella, the Medrash continues, Of the two litigants that come out, the one that comes out of court holding a palm branch is the winner. Why? Because at the time that the Midrash was written, a palm branch was almost a universal symbol for victory, as we said. And what's the nimshal? Kach Yisrael v'umot ha'olam ba'inu mekatrugin lifnei ha'kadosh baruch hu b'rosh hashanah the Medrash sets up Rosh Hashanah as a fight between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people and the rest of the world. So to translate it, so too on Rosh Hashanah, the nation of Israel and the nations of the world come and prosecute each other before God. Meaning they, they come before God and each one tries to lay out claims why it is the other one that is guilty of not being faithful to God. And we don't know who won. Ella. When we see Israel exiting the divine court with their lulavs and etrogs in their hands, we know that Israel are the winners, and therefore we have to be doubly thankful to God, and we bring two to Korbanot. So in this time of the second Beit HaMikdash, towards the end, and after its destruction, when Israel is under Roman rule, and the image of the lulav conveys victory, we can see a medrash where Chazal say, hey, you're carrying a lulav, you probably won. Remember also that the mitzvah as written in the Torah, the crux of the mitzvah, if you will, is to do so in the Beit HaMikdash. And we know the Beit HaMikdash was the center of everything on Sukkot. And so, the Lulav et al. had a dual meaning to people living at the time of the Churban Bayit Sheni and during the Bar Kokhba revolt 58 years later. Of course, it was one of the Arba Minim that we took during Sukkot, and it had a special feeling, a special thought that it, it put into us, it imbued into us, remembering the Bet HaMikdash, because that is Lifnei Hashem, that is where the, the Lulav and Etrog and Hadas and Arava are taken all, all during Sukkot, according to the Torah. But it also had another meaning. The palm branch was also a symbol of victory. And maybe the people of the Bar Kokhba revolt put a lot of emphasis on the Arba Minim because it meant to the people both a victory over the Roman Empire that is occupying them and a yearning to return to the Bet HaMikdash. 
we talked about archaeology and relics. Close parentheses. Many coins from the period of the Bar Kokhba revolt were found in Israel. It's interesting that when minting coins, both in the first revolt that we spoke about, but also in the times of the Hashmonaim, and now in the times of Bar Kokhba, they were mainly careful about not putting the image, the face of anyone. We have a, What do we have on our currency in America and in Israel? Faces of presidents, leaders. They were careful not to put faces of people because of do not make a graven image. Don't engrave images. So the coins that we found from the time of Bar Kochva, there were several different denominations. The highest denomination, the most valuable coin, one side had the Bet HaMikdash engraved. The other side had an engraving of a lulav and a trog, hadas and arava. You see the importance given to the lulav during this time. In contrast, during previous revolts when coins were minted by the Jewish people, lulav and a trog, the arba minim, were often on coins. They were symbols of the Jewish people, but they were never on the most valuable coin. Bar Kochva places the Arba Minim in the front. Maybe, maybe, because of this dual importance that it has. The return to Bet HaMikdash, which is on the other side of it, and the Lulav as a victory symbol in Roman Empire. Something very interesting. On this coin that was found, I'll post a picture of it on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. On this coin that was found, you see a Lulav, and you see on either side of it one branch connected to the lulav. One hadas, one arava. And that's weird, because we don't take only one hadas and one arava. But Professor Rabbi Daniel Sperber noticed this and said, that's not surprising, because in the Mishnah and Sukkah, Paragimel, Mishnah Dalid, it says, Rabbi Yishmael Omer, hadasim echad which is what we do. We take three Adasim and two Aravot, a Lulav and a Trog. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Keshem Shlulav Echad Vetrog Echad, Kachadas Echad, Vaarava Achat. Rabbi Akiva says we take one Lulav, one Arava, one Hadas, one Etrog. And who was the spiritual mentor, the spiritual guide, the spiritual leader of the Bar Kokhva revolt, if not Rabbi Akiva? So how much sense does that make? How amazing is it that the lulav that is depicted on the coin of the Bar Kokhva revolt has one hadas and one arava, according to the shita of Rabbi Akiva. Wow. But wait, there's more. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found near the Dead Sea, hence the name, in an area where... It was so arid, so dry, that manuscripts written on uh, parchment could survive for 2,000 years. Well, there was another set of caves, very hard to reach, which were excavated by Yigael Yadin. And he put out a book about it, and it is fascinating. And you can actually see some of the things that were found in that cave in the shrine of the book in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. They found tons of stuff. 
people were living in the caves hiding from the Romans. People died in the caves from starvation. They also found in the caves a letter. A letter from Bar Kosifa, we know as Bar Kokhva, to two of the leaders of the revolt. I'm going to read it to you as it's written in Aramaic. Yehuda Bar Kiryat Arbaya, to Yehuda, son of Menashe from Kiryat Arbaya. Shalach Lach Trey Chamorin, the Tishlach Imohen Trey Gavrin. Levat Yonatan Barbayan, Levat Maspela. I sent you two donkeys. And what are you supposed to do with these two donkeys? Says the leader of the revolt to some of the commanders that are below him. Take two people and send the donkeys and the people to Yonatan Ben Baya, another one of the members of the revolt, to Yonatan Ben Baya and to someone by the name of Maspela. V'yishalchula machanai levatach lelovin ve'etrogin. What's the purpose of sending these two donkeys and two people to these people? The purpose is that they should send with you lulavim and etrogim, because there are a lot of people in the troops, and they need arbaminim. This was one of the first outdoor arbaminim markets. Ve'at shlach achrinan milavatach v'yimtun lach hadasin v'aravin. And you, who are going to get this delivery, this shipment of lulavim and etrogim, you send with these two donkeys, you send back Hadassim and Aravot. Send them back to the camp, to the military camp, because there are many people there. Achlasa, Achlusia in Hebrew, population, Sagi, Sagi Zalat. Hu Shalem, or Heye Shalem, Heye Shalom, go in peace. So now we discover a document that's about 2,000 years old, written by the leader, by this charismatic leader, Bar Kochva, who implores his fighters, and one could say, hey, it was in the middle of a war. They were running away from the Romans. You could find a way around everyone having their own Lulav and Esrog. Maybe we'd share one, maybe this. No, there are a lot of people in the army, and they all need Lulavim and Etrogim Hadassim and Aravot. Why? Maybe. Maybe because the lulav becomes almost the logo of the merit, the symbol that gets people aroused, that gets people excited. It's the symbol that reminds them of the mitzvah that we do in the Bet HaMikdash, and it's the symbol of victory. And so Bar Kochva wants to make sure that everybody has one. It's a dual purpose. It is the logo, maybe, the emblem, maybe, of the revolt. And it's also the mitzvah. But from the perspective of the mitzvah, there are many ways to say, pikuach nefesh, we'll share, we'll do this, we'll give one to the other. But as the logo, as the thing that will inspire the soldiers to fight better, can't replace it. I'm going to, let's see, let's see what we're going to do here. We're going to go to a song, and then we'll close out with, quite frankly, another really amazing piece to this whole puzzle. It's Hanan Ben-Ari with Rega. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Tokedena 
רק אותי ואותך ומכל by the way, Hanan Ben-Ari with Rega, or parts of it. I want to point out that um, a good part of uh, what I just told you comes from an article by Rabbi Yehoshua Rees, who publishes on the Gush website, etzion.org.il. Also, that the emperor, the, the Roman emperor that ended up doing, doing away with the Bar Kokhva revolt, crushing it, and, and plowing the Har Habayit and so forth, known in the Gemara's Hadrianus Caesar, or Hadrian in the general world, there is a coin that we found from the year 125 to 128, which is when he ruled. On the back, on the front, of course, is his face. On the back is their mythological god, Victoria, which is victory holding, yes, a palm branch. But let me tell you how we close the circle. On Yom Kippur of 1973, Israel faced its most existential threat. It was attacked at once, at two in the afternoon on Yom Kippur, by Egypt in the south and Syria in the north, and they made quick advances, gobbling up territories in Israel and really threatening the existence of the state of Israel. The war went on for quite a while. Over 2,000 young men died were killed, I should say, in the war. It was very chaotic. But remember now that a few days after Yom Kippur is Sukkot, Rav Yehuda Amital Zatzal, the Rosh Yeshiva of Haritzion, told in his book, Ma'alot Mimamakim, about the extraordinary efforts that were made by the division commander of the IDF to get Arba Minim, the Lulav, the Etrog, the Hadas, and the Arava, to the soldiers Amidst the battle, he sent, made sure to send these Arbaminim, 
I don't even know if he knew about the letter of Bar Kokhba. I don't. It was probably discovered, but I don't know if he knew about it. But here we are, two thousand years later, in an independent state of Israel, under attack, fighting the enemy. And the division commander says, "We got to get the Arba Minim out to the field." And Rav Amital says, "There was so much koach, both spiritual and moral, that was in that act." And here we are. We don't have to revolt against the enemies. We did already. The revolt against the British is over. We live in the independent state of Israel. We live in the sovereign state of Israel. Lulavim and Etrogim and Hadassim and Aravot can be seen throughout the streets in normal times in great number. You know why? Because we, the Jewish people, and in our generation especially, merited to be the victors. Because we are walking out of the court holding the lulav as a sign of victory. Netzach Yisrael, lo yishaker, mirzah Hashem, this process that began will now continue to its end in which the real Mashiach will show himself and the Bet HaMikdash will return as well. Thank you for tuning in. Until next Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.